The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book, winner of the first-ever Special Palme d'Or at Cannes, and an official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival. The Image Book hits theaters starting January 25th. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is another installment of our Sundance series of podcasts from the lovely snow-bound slopes of Park City and the grotty streets of Main Street and other venues. Uh, we come to you with films, many of them, uh, but it's not just me here. I'm also joined by... Eric Hines. Uh Curator of Film at Museum of Moving Image and a Film Comment columnist. He has almost forgotten his identity. It's, it's completely lost point. my identity. I was just thinking about how great it was to ski today and how beautiful the slopes were. And uh, Ashley Clark, a senior repertory and specialty film programmer at BAM in Brooklyn. And Devika Girish, Film Comment contributor. Uh, so we have a lot to cover, as always, because, you know, that's our jobs, seeing a lot of movies. So you don't have to, or maybe you will anyway. Uh, but enough about me. Ash, you are new to this Sundance <laughs> To podcast. an extent. Actually, you've just reminded me that the last time I did this, uh, I nearly died um, on the way up the hill. I'd just seen Mudbound, and I was coming up to the Kickstarter lounge to, um, to record a podcast with you guys a couple of years ago. Oh. And I got halfway up the hill and realized I couldn't breathe anymore. <laughs> um, so when I actually got to the Kickstarter lounge, yeah. um, I was just grateful. <laughs> to, to still be alive and yeah. to, to talk about Mudbound. Um, yeah. But today, I guess, maybe we could kick off with uh, the, the Farewell. Yeah, The Farewell. Which, the, the Lulu yeah. Wang um, film, which has just been picked up for a vast amount of money by A24 and will be coming out later in the year. Um, and it's a kind of family comedy drama uh, based on an actual lie, as it says in the, the, opening, uh, the opening title card, starring um, Aquafina of Crazy Rich Asians and... Ocean's Eight fame. Um, and I won't go into too much plot. I think it's the kind of film that the less you know about it going in, if you possibly can, like, avoiding Twitter or trailers or film comment podcasts. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it was a real tonic. Um, it was just a kind of well-crafted, in, in a very kind of crowd-pleaser mold. There was laughs and uh, tears from, from, from me. I cried three times today, actually, all of oh. which were film-related, okay. <laughs> which is not usual. Yeah, there's normally many other reasons. Yeah. yeah, today it was all the films, um, and I just enjoyed it a lot. It was just just well done, well performed. It was an interesting uh, counterpoint to American Factory, um, in a completely different register. Um, but looking at uh, American culture and Chinese culture, how they how they interact and how they differ, and how uh, one one person's way of life is. You might think it's incompatible with, with, with another, but th there are ways to uh, look at that and integrate. And again, it sounds vague without going into too much plot, but it's about uh, Aquafina's relationship with her, with her grandmother. And she begins the film in New York and then goes back to, to China for, for family reasons. And the majority of the film is, is in Chinese with, with subtitles um, and, and is set over there. And it's, it's just very warm and funny and interesting and uh, a, a very enjoyable film to see. I also felt warm, felt warmth coming from the screen. I, I, I guess I, and I really admired her, actually her framing, I thought was always pr pretty uh, 
fresh, uh, especially in the beginning when they're kind of setting setting the scene of the you know Aquafina's character living in New York and just being kind of playful with it and picking her out in a crowd or that sort of thing. Um, I, I I did feel like it kind of got less interesting as as it went on because it, it got I almost necessarily got more housebound in a way and. I just began to feel that I wanted one other element um, besides what's going on in the story, which is that they all go to visit the grandmother in, in China for, for, for the wedding, for a wedding of her, bro her brother's wedding. Um, and I just wish there was one other element. There, there is another element that we're not, I guess maybe shouldn't really talk about, but uh, it, I just kind of felt like they needed something else to be talking about <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. fairly, it's fairly broad um, in... in suppose conception and execution but there's a lot of uh, depth to the characters it's the kind of ensemble film where every character has their little moment whether it's the the father or the the uncle or the the auntie everybody's got their auntie. the answer i get i get um teased about this the way i say certain words oh, i'm an no, englishman no. in the states i wasn't teasing it's, i, I, I it's, like no, it's tough for me well. nick i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to say this here we, so, we uh, prefer we prefer aunt uh, aunt 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 the ant character. <laughs> I'm just going to go American now. <laughs> it's full American. Thank you. Um, no, uh, it's just, it's a lovely ensemble piece, but I, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's, it's lacking some, a certain depth that kind of yeah. keeps it just, just below being great. But in a festival context, when you're seeing a lot of films back to back, mm -hmm. something that just genuinely is quite a humanist tale. Um, yes. and, it, and it's well crafted. Yes. There, there's a thing that happens, yeah. I think, in films, in festivals, when you're seeing four or five films a day. Where you, you you see a film and you think oh that wasn't very good, yeah. and then you see a genuine dog's dinner um, of of a film, <laughs> and then you think the one I saw this morning actually wasn't quite that bad after all. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so yeah. films like this, which are just handsomely put together, well acted, yeah. and <laughs> have some real cultural specificity and and feel feel authentic and warm and lived in, yeah. um, really do kind of sing, yeah, and uh, and carry you through the day, yeah, uh, and next coffee. The next car, and I think that was a, a, a first feature, right? I believe. I believe it's a second. A second I think. feature. I okay. wouldn't say that with any authority, but I did check the oh, yeah. the IMDb page afterwards because I was just interested, and I saw a, I saw a few shorts. Okay. And I think one feature. One but, feature. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that was the farewell, which I guess uh, premiered on on Friday and has been showing again. And another a movie that showed today, I think, for the first time, was very different. I think, and very different in its. I don't know. Is faith the right word? As in good versus bad faith? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I speak of loose. 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 You want you want to take a stab at loose or for the plot? Yeah, for plot. We can tag team. Sure. Uh, well, so loose is about a model student uh, uh, who is as adopted by uh, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. Tim the, Roth. Their characters, not the actors. Although. There's a film. Um, and he is it's the instigating incident already. Um, I mean, he's running to a spot of trouble. Now I'm going British. Wait, a spot of bother. <laughs> a spot of bother. <laughs> All right, mate, calm down. <laughs> Where is Luce from? What's the... Eritrea. Eritrea, yeah. You're going cock me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it together, guys. Staten Island is not that far off. And so... Um, Anyway, so he's uh, he has a he's a teacher played by Octavia Spencer, who uh, notes that a, a, a writing assignment that he gave that she gave um, he produced something that was I mean it's it's amazing you haven't seen this yet but you'll see it tomorrow I think 
the writing assignment was to write from a point of view, a perspective that is different from your own. That was the challenge in this sort of debate uh, context. And he wrote a piece on in the voice of, as they said repeatedly, Franz Fanon. <laughs> and this apparently set off alarm bells that he was maybe potentially going back to his um, violent past from Eritrea. Um, and this is really what sets things off. Can't wait for you to see this film, Ash. <laughs> and, uh, and so this combined with the fact that Fireworks were found in his locker room, sets things off. Um, and what begins is a, an ethical minefield involving. Oh, this is the Tim Roth <clears throat> Guy Fawkes movie. <laughs> we haven't even. Let's, this, I'm going to put Tim Roth to the side because I have a think, few things to say about Tim Roth. Yeah. But so we have. Uh, so what sets off is, as you can now imagine with this setup, you've got the two white adoptive parents of the Eritrean child who's become a model student and star athlete who's everyone's favorite kid in the school. But of course you have the African-American students that are his friends who <coughs> don't know what to make of him because everybody uses him as a model and he's clearly – and he's also a 17-year-old who's going through whatever he's going through feels like he needs to be a perfect student. And yet the whole thing plays as a thriller throughout because he's almost like a was in six degrees of separation where there's a sort of Will Smith, you know, oh, is he actually uh, a charlatan who's getting away with something? Right. He becomes this almost horror character throughout um, yeah. where everybody's projecting things onto him, but it's also played throughout yeah. as if he's kind of a creep. Yeah. So um, anyway, it, 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 it rang bells for me of being sort of like a genre take on Crash or Grand Canyon, which, of course, I always bring up when that genre is coming in. Um, there's also uh, The Student, the Russian film from a couple of years ago, because it winds up being a lot of what's, what's juicy about the film is the Octavia Spencer you know, um, younger actors I don't have in front of me. Um, their scenes together play, you know, are, are sort of this maddening game between somebody who whose life is sort of falling apart, uh, the teacher whose life is falling apart in relation to a star student that everybody adores. So it's certainly gripping and there's, it's maddening and it's an experience. I, I, I struggled with it. I struggled with it as well. Only a few seats over from you, actually. <laughs> there was struggle in our, in, struggling in our, in our row. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, I, Kelvin Harrison Jr., sorry, is the, is the young actor who's very good. Who's very good, yeah. I mean, it, but it's just, yeah, it is a pity that 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 he he seems to have been directed to to play him as yeah, kind of kind of a, a creep, a kind of an operator, kind of you're suspecting him of like sort of trying to manipulate situations in a certain way, trying to put his teacher, I thought fairly clearly into embarrassing situations or to set her up for some kind of fall. And, I mean, and, and there, yeah. it's a smart film. It's a smart script based on a play. Mm -hmm. I find it manipulative and problematic, but it's smart. Like the, the whole him playing as a creep, I'm sorry for interjecting, but oh, like yeah. him is riffing on Franz Fanon's, you know, white mask. Like he's doing that. That's in what we're watching. Yeah. It's just, it's so broad anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's just also another, I have to say another in a number of movies here where I just never feel like people are, I can't figure out what people's motivations are from one moment to the next. There doesn't seem to be a real consistency of character. When they need something to happen at a certain point in the screenplay, it's going to happen. <laughs> just even if it's not really makes sense and it's probably going to happen or it sometimes happens in a, in a yeah, pretty broad way. I mean, the way, one way in which he, 
uh, which the teacher is specifically kind of humiliated and, and shocked and, and just destroyed involving her sister who is addicted to to drugs and, and, and rehab. I just, I couldn't believe what was, was happening there. It, they were just trying to push so many buttons um, then with always the, the the escape hatch of stepping aside and saying, well, we're you know we're not really doing it. It's you know it's the societal context in which these are. It's a, uh, it's a lot of sociological justification for yeah. things happening with characters. So you're right. Like what are how are characters going to act in the moment? Winds yeah. up being almost like there's a die being thrown down. Like yeah. what's the ethical? What's the what's the what's the, the most provocative thing right. that they could decide to do in this moment? Yeah, that's why I was thinking of it. Well, I can't really take this too seriously in that way. So I have to think that. It's an ethical thriller in a, in a way that they're, they're taking whatever is the most suspenseful thing they could do. But it, yeah, ultimately, I just found it kind of frustrating and in a weird way, kind of reactionary as well. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read the play, so I don't know like yeah, yeah. the kind of basis I for it, but, but I did find it. Yeah. That, Literally, you know. the, entire, the, the inciting incident is an essay from the point of view of Francis <laughs> Fanon, Fanon as being like some tip off of a kid going off the edge. Is, yeah. I don't know. It's just... But, okay, so, like, can we go shallow for a second? Sure. <laughs> so Naomi Watts and Tim Roth is a couple, a very appealing couple. I like them both very much as performers. Somehow Naomi Watts has made a career of having very good American accents. Tim Roth has about 30 years of just, I mean, a, yeah. the, the, the butcher cleavers that come out every single time. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. I mean, I, Wait, I love him, but yeah. Where was he supposed to be They were in Northern from? Virginia, right? Northern but I don't, Virginia. I don't know where he's supposed okay. to be from. He felt he was, like, sort of spanning... I just don't, he States. was all over the he place, but I, I don't understand why, if you're going to yeah. hire Tim Roth at this point, it's okay if Tim Roth is from England and married to, and married to an American <laughs> woman. It's true. okay. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to ask any questions. Yeah. Which is what I liked about Hereditary, having Gabriel Byrne having his own accent in the film. It means that as soon as he starts talking, you stop thinking about his accent right. from that point I forward. I agree. It's funny when it's, it's to, you know, you could have got away with it otherwise. Like one of my favorite films is, is Locke. Um, starring Tom Hardy, and he decides to do a Welsh accent for absolutely no reason. <laughs> if he'd been just his regular voice, it would have been fine. Yeah. And Jude Law did the same in, in Black Sea. He was Scottish for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Whereas there's a Sean Connery approach where, just always... even if he's Russian, <laughs> in, 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 in The Hunt for Red October, yeah. he's going to be Scottish and you're going to deal with it. I, I agree, I agree. And, and I almost I'm, feel like it's their choice. Like they want yeah. to do it as a point of pride. Yeah. yeah. But it's at the wrong choice. Yeah, that's well. That's. I look forward to hearing your takes. So yeah, if you're definitely. Later that's that's loose, which is being screened a fair amount. It seems like I don't know. It seems somewhat more prominent than. I mean, it's, some things are screening. Showcased. Some things are screening like once here and then like way the hell somewhere else the next three times. But uh, what, what else have we seen that we we want to talk about? Oh yeah, Devika, would you like to talk about Midnight Family? Um. So Midnight Family premiered today. Uh, it's a documentary by Luke Lorentzen. It's like, I think this is his second film. He made a documentary called New York Cuts that I haven't seen. Um, it, it, so it begins with this really frightening statistic that there are 9 million people in Mexico City and 45 ambulances to serve them. And so the film is about uh, one family in Mexico City, the Ochoas, who run a private ambulance. And it's sort of uh, just follows their everyday life and the, I guess, ins and outs of the private ambulance trade. Uh, it's it's just, it's a small film in the sense that it keeps its scope very sort of tight and particular, even though obviously it's telling a much bigger story. It's the, telling the story of a city, a country, and also of 
you know, just the changing sort of economic system and what privatization does to societies and to individuals. And it manages to do that. I mean, those things kind of trickle in through very particular details uh, about the Ochoas. And it's also a very warm film. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a chamber drama. And a lot of it is very frenetic because it's filmed within the confines of the ambulance and you're kind of following them as they chase casualties. So basically they have a deal with the cops in Mexico City where uh, they pay them like 300 pesos every time the cops like direct a call to them instead of the government ambulance service. And then, I mean, there's this remarkable scene where they literally, uh, they like race with another private ambulance to the scene of an accident. And it, it's it's like a chase scene, a car chase scene in a movie, you know, in like, well, this is a movie, sorry, but like, a, you know, some action film. I mean, and and the family also, I should mention, it uh, consists of the father, this middle-aged man named Fur, a 16-year-old boy <coughs> named Jose, uh, named Juan, who basically runs the show. I mean, he's just you find out, yeah, he drives, uh, he manages everything, and you find out that he's 16 and almost like halfway into the film. And that's kind of when you start realizing, okay, things are not uh, as hunky-dory as they might seem. And and then there's a little kid, uh, uh, Juan's younger brother, Josue, who's, who's, so he is the kid who like sits in the back and while they're like racing another ambulance, he's just like, you know, you know we're going to win. And he's just like having fun and he, does not really understand the gravity of it all. So that kind of gives a nice ironic counterpoint. And so there's these kinds of scenes. But despite that, it's just such a beautifully composed film. It's a very patiently and beautifully composed film, which is something you might not expect based on the premise. Like I thought it would be very like verite and very like maybe a little more fly on the wall. To what extent is the the, the authorial hand shown? Is it a very kind of hands-off? from the director? Is, is he present in the film? Uh, no, he isn't, I would say, other than the fact that, you know, it looks fairly well-crafted, so you know there's, like, thought put into the shots and, and the way it's edited. But no, he is... Uh, there's a couple instances where the characters, like, look at the camera, and you can see, I mean, they look at the camera with a sense of warmth and familiarity, and, and he based on the press notes, I mean, he spent uh, a couple of years there and got to know them really well, but there's absolutely no intervention of any sort. And I would imagine that, I guess, when things are happening at that pace, you don't really have the time to, you know, ponder the implications of what are, what's happening. I mean, I was surprised that the Ochoas were so open with all that they're doing, uh, happy to share it on camera. But I get the sense that they don't really think what they're doing is wrong. I mean, I think they're convinced that they're just doing what it takes to survive while also providing a service. And some of the best moments in the film are them interacting with patients because they're so tender. I mean, they are incredibly kind and tender. And the thing is, they don't know if they're going to get paid until after everything's done. And then they have to go ask for money. And a patient might very well not pay them and they can't do anything about it because they're not a legitimate service. So... That's when it gets really complicated because as a viewer, I I was rooting for them. I mean, they, they're also hanging by a thread and they're good people. I think that's the sense you get from the film. But clearly they're making decisions that, that make you very uncomfortable. So I think overall it's it's the sort of film that gets you really close to how 
like neoliberal, you know, systems work at uh, at the individual and family level, like really emotionally close to those realities. And, and I think that's why it's it's a worthy film. No, I mean, that's a film that I, I also uh, quite liked. And I agree with the neoliberal thing. It's definitely a film where you get a sense of everyone that they're, yeah, they're doing the best they can given the situation they are they are in. That's that's a documentary. I know there are also a couple of uh, narrative films that we've seen that we, Ash, you saw one that I, I have not seen yet. Um, the Last Tree. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, a film called The Last Tree um, by a British director called uh, Shola Amu, um, who has made a couple of really great shorts, um, one including uh, Dear Mr. Shakespeare, which is freely available online and is... Um, on Canopy. On Canopy. So get your library cards out or borrow your friends or etc. etc. Um, and his first feature was called A Moving Image, which was a really interesting um, semi-documentary uh, fiction narrative uh, about gentrification set in Brixton in South London with uh, trips to Brooklyn and, and so on. Um, but this is a film called The Last Tree um, and it's a huge leap up in terms of budget and ambition and scale. And it's a story of a young uh, black British boy um, with a Nigerian mother who, who grows up um, kind of separate from his mother with a, with a white foster mother um, in the countryside and he's, most of his friends are white and they have loads of open space to, to run around in. And then one day his mum comes back and says, right, I'm taking you with me. Uh, I've got a place in London and you're going to come live with me. So uh, he has to leave behind all this kind of gorgeous, beautiful open space, which is uh, beautifully captured in, in the opening kind of 10, 15 minutes of the film to the very boxy, constricted um, a council estate in South London. And obviously where, where the, there's a lot more going on, there's a lot more happening um, there. And he, he doesn't acclimatise very well to, to school um, or to his new routines and he doesn't get on with his mother. And um, so from there, it just kind of proceeds... Um, it takes some cues from Moonlight, actually, in the, the kind of th- the very pronounced three-act structure. It's a coming-of-age story, which hits some fairly familiar beats in some ways. There's a kind of a detour into a slightly a criminal narrative, which I was a little bit disappointed to see it go down that that route or route, as we're in America. Um, but it, it certainly recovers from that and finishes in a really strong place. Um, it's it's very and a very emotionally open film. Um, and, it, and again, it takes cues from 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 Moonlight in in more ways than one. More structurally, it's about men being able, specifically black men, being able to um, be openly emotional with each other and, and kind of breaking down certain barriers of perceived notions of, of black masculinity. And it does that in a really beautiful way. Um, wonderful soundtrack, some surprise. Uh, Shola's got great taste, so there's, there's some new order in there. Um, uh, Crystal. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> huh? Uh, this, yeah, late period New Order. Uh, God, I feel like I feel like such a granddad. Um, look it up. Yeah, Nick's look it just, up as the most granddad. Yeah, Nick, Nick, no microphone, just in the background. <laughs> late period New Order. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, great kind of soundtrack choices and also a, uh, a nice sweeping score as well. I mean, it, it, it's in some ways it doesn't break the mold, but, it, you know, but it does... The, the th- it does present a, a fully fleshed three-dimensional portrait of black British life on film in a way that doesn't happen very often. I just hope that um, that the powers that be, uh, the BFI have, have, have played a big part in producing it, and I just hope that 
that they treat it with with seriousness and, and respect and really get behind it. Um, there's been too many instances of films that haven't uh, been been fully supported, that haven't been films like Second Coming by Debbie Tucker Green, which premiered at uh, TIFF a few years ago, which actually starred Idris Elba. Very very hushed, quiet drama about. Uh, a woman who mysteriously falls pregnant and and it's it, it was so unorthodox and unusual and it was just focused on family and character and it didn't tick any of the regular boxes that you see in british film and it's kind of disappeared um, and i think that shola's got uh, a lot of talent and i think this film is it's it's a complete film but it's also very promising of greater things and i just hope that people go out and see it and get behind it i think the lead actor i'm afraid i can't remember his, his name right now but um is, is very powerful presence Beautifully shot and told, and, and I highly recommend it. That's yeah. The Last Tree. The Last Tree. Uh, <laughs> it's happening again. What? The Last Tree. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, it's The Last Tree. <laughs> the Last Tree. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's The Last Tree. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book. This provocative collage film won the first special Palme d'Or ever awarded in the history of the Cannes Film Festival. Writing for the New York Times, Manola Dargis called it a dense visual and oral collage that I've seen twice and expect to see several times more. An official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival, The Image Book opens January 25th at Film Society of Lincoln Center and IFC Center before expanding to select cities. Eric, what, what have you seen that you want to talk about now? Well, I, oh, Jesus. So I wanted to, uh, in a similar vein, wanted to um, speak on behalf of a film called Clemency, which I saw uh, this evening by filmmaker uh, Shinonya Shuku. And... Uh, screenwriter as well and use the words hushed quiet drama and I think that there's something that applies here as well a film that took me by surprise for its pace and for its attention it's really well constructed it's really beautifully written it just doesn't ever play as written um, and I think, not to be too general, but I do feel like even the more, even the ambitious, interesting films at the festival sometimes are so written, they're so on the page, and I feel like they, they have a hard time getting from the page into these scenes uh, that are often sometimes really beautifully directed, but there's something written about a lot of the, maybe in American independent cinema, um, that this doesn't play this way because, I mean, it benefits from the fact that Alfred Woodard is the lead uh, actress and she opposites, uh, actor, acts opposite Richard Schiff and Aldous Hodge and Wendell Pierce, which is a pretty fantastic group of people. And briefly, it is about a, a prison warden played by Alfred Woodard, um, who has to oversee um, uh, uh, capital punishment, just to oversee the administering of uh, lethal injection. Um, and it starts structured with, when we, we meet her administering, we go right into an execution, and then we end in, an ex we end in I don't want to give things away, it ends in, you know, uh, leading up to a potential other execution. Um, and it's really about... Um, <coughs> It winds up being an incredible portrait of a person who has a job that you never see uh, presented in a, in a feature like this. An Afro-American woman warden um, in a men's prison who 
takes great pride in her job. There's discussions with her husband about how stressed and traumatized she is, but she keeps referring to her, her job as a profession. She, she handles it, she, she, she knows how to do it the way that she thinks the, the right way to do it, how to, be, how, to, how to treat people with dignity, how to uh, be a professional, how to do it right, how to be a great colleague, et cetera, et cetera, but is clearly still haunted by what she has to do and what she oversees. It just winds up being, there are all these, what you'd think of as being meaty scenes between these major actors and everyone feels quiet and it feels extended and it feels like the, the spaces in between the dialogue matter as much as what they're saying to each other. And I, I mean, they're all fantastic. And uh, this is a film that I, I hope it's so quiet and so unassuming and so not uh, making a show of itself. I hope that people take, take uh, that, it, that people do pay attention to it. And I hope people take, pay attention to it in this festival. I do think that it's a remarkable, considering we all know that Alfred Wood is an amazing actress, how after 35 years, she's somehow underrated <coughs> in some ways, because the fact that she's still out there doing this work and she's been this good this long is extraordinary. And I want to say Aldous Hodge is unbelievable. Like he is incredible in this film. And it's one of the, one of the better performances of, of somebody in that position that I've ever seen. So I'm very excited about the film. Wow. All right, clemency. Clear, clear schedule for clemency. Um, I'm sorry to undermine your beautifully delivered description with a sloganeering. Just thinking of, of Alfred Woodard in, in 12 Years a Slave, which is the best thing in it, like when she's in it yes. for like five minutes. Oh, yeah. So it's, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing her in a proper yeah. leading role. And I mean, she's, yeah. she's great at Leiden. Of course, she's wonderful in every line reading, but so much of the film is her face and her facial expressions and kind of spectrum that could happen over a couple minutes in terms of what she's going through emotionally. It's, it's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, I think we're sort of running down um, in terms of our uh, time. Ashley and I hogged up the time there. No, yeah. not at all. No, not at all. I do want to give a chance just to get off your chest if there's anything you saw that, that might have scarred you. And you need to exercise that at some point. I think each of us might have a little something in that regard, perhaps. Which one? All my scars in all of two days. Oh, I, I saw Paradise Hills today, which, uh, what's the director's name? Alice Wad Waddington. Alice Waddington, and I be believe it's her debut film, and it's a debut feature, and it's co-written by Vigilando. Nacho Vigilando. Yeah. Of, of, of Time Crimes. Time Crimes. Colossal, Colossal and Time Crimes. Yeah, which, which had me kind of interested because I enjoyed Colossal a lot. Um, it's about a group of women who are in this some kind of, uh, it's set in this like, crazy, kooky, alternate future universe that I can't place at all. It's just some so it's random... classic Nacho Vigalondo, is what we're saying. I guess, but it's like, it's That's just... Nacho. <laughs> well, I mean, his... Yeah. yeah, his films... But no, this is like... First of all, there, this is like so overly production design. I mean, it's just all these affectations and artifacts that I don't know what they're trying to say like too much design, no world building, you know, I have no idea what mm. this world is. There's these random references to some kind of class disparities, some mysterious class of people known as the lowers who have suffered some wars and- So is it science, science fiction? Uh, I guess so, yeah, I mean, it is science fiction. Um, and uh, yeah, just this, these vague gestures towards some, some kind of politics. And yeah, these girls are trapped 
in this asylum or rehab century space. No idea what the point is. All of them have different ailments that are being cured here and all of them of some kind of familial nature. And uh, just alliances appear out of nowhere, betrayals happen out of nowhere. It's like this was like a series or, you know, a three film franchise. And then they just like took like 20 minutes from each episode and just like put it together. It just feels like there's like huge chunks missing. And the writing is so bad. I mean, people were just laughing I mean, I was at a press screening, so that was like... Laughing at rather than with. Yes, exactly. I mean, these were like supposed to be earnest or horror or thrilling thrilling scenes. And the, the dialogue was just so bad. I mean, there's a point at which the lead actress, there's she has a doppelganger and they both kind of emerge to take on the, the evil woman. And the evil woman is like... You don't mean... You're selling it to me. I don't think <laughs> oh my God, no. to do this. Okay, but here, here this. And the evil woman is like... Which one of you is, you know, whom? And and the the our protagonist goes, I am me, and then like stabs her or something. And it's like those kinds of, you know, just and some, or something very serviceable, <laughs> extremely serviceable dialogue that you know just borders on the just is is absurd. And well, you're comical. very good at saying why this is bad, which I think is why you're selling it on us. I'm sure it's as bad as you say, and yet we like hearing you talk about it. <laughs> But I want then, then I'm gonna stop. But I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I just want to say, at this hour, it's it's nearly midnight, and no one's listening anymore. So I'm going to say that a very early Sundance experience that I had, maybe 2006, 2007, which is Nacho Vingalotto's Time Crimes, was here, um, was very exciting to me as a young person coming to because it was a party that I went to that Nacho Vingalotto did a karaoke with Smoke Machine in a condo which of course set off the fire alarms, which brought the fire department, which shut down the party. Colossal. <laughs> I think I've just committed a time crime. Uh, well, uh, Eric, unless there's anything. No. no. All right. No, I feel like my... Uh, you just committed the time crime. I used up the time <laughs> on that crime. Can I just quickly say one more thing quickly before yeah. we go? I loved uh, The Sound of Silence. Okay. Starring Peter Sarsgaard and a tuning fork. Right. It's wonderful, beautiful. Um, someone said City Symphony earlier. This is literally a film about the sounds that a city, in this case New York, makes and how it uh, influences the way that you live. I mean, it's just a beautiful, again, hushed, quiet, um, observant drama slash semi-romance and Peter Sarsgaard is wonderful in it. So Very good. I will end on a positive. Good. Um, I will just say two words, the souvenir. Uh, well, that's it for us tonight. Uh, I think it brings us to the end of another day of rollicking film commentary and thanks all of you especially ash for coming along oh thank you it's fun thanks for having me yes thanks everybody good night good night you've been listening to the film comment podcast with music by greg Angie. you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play or stitcher film comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the film society of lincoln center since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.